good to see you this morning. Uh, if we don't know each other, my name's Brian, and I, I get the chance to be a teaching pastor here in, in Belmont. And uh, I, I love that Ting, Ting does have a, a great future as a correspondent. And I also, it's not the first time he's talked into a camera as like a selfie. You can tell. Uh, he's got some experience there. I also loved, I mean, we've been to Camp Berea multiple times. It's in New Hampshire, but it's very modern. And he had his water. Did you notice that? His water, he had like a, a rescue whistle. I don't know what he plans on doing up there uh, at Camp Berea, but I'm pretty sure he'll be, he'll be all right. Uh, it's so awesome to hear what God is doing. And honestly, to be at a place here uh, in Belmont, where uh, we have some youth ministry happening here locally in our church is really a cool thing to see. One of the uh, pretty exciting things I think that's happening in the life of our church community is many of you know Rebecca Buonene, who's been a part of our church for, for the last um, five years about, which is amazing. So uh, Rebecca shared her story very publicly, so I don't feel like I'm sharing anything that, that is a secret but Rebecca came to the U.S. seeking asylum. She was in a very dangerous situation in her home country. And um, she, she has been granted the, the, the ability to stay, but that means life was left in Uganda, uh, including her sons. And two of her sons uh, came with their school to the U.S. for two weeks, and they're in Florida. So Rebecca, for the first time in five years, is with two of her boys in Florida, so if you think of Rebecca, uh, please, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And so I know it's, I'm sure, you know, talking to her briefly, and some of you have talked to her, I mean, that's, it's a joyous thing and a really hard thing uh, these couple of weeks to see her, to see her boys, but an awesome thing that God is doing. And we'll just pray that it continues. He continues to work in Rebecca's life. I know that for Rebecca, uh, seeing her boys is an answer to years and years of prayer. Not just prayers that she's prayed, but prayers that many of you here have prayed and prayers that I'm sure have been prayed from family and friends uh, back home. And this morning we're gonna talk a little bit more about prayer and how God hears prayer and, and how God answers prayer. And so I'm looking forward to, to diving into that with you. We're in Mark chapter 10 as Andrew just said, and we're in verse 35. We're going to look at two stories of Jesus. And you have to stick with me here for a moment because the scripture reading is a little bit longer uh, than, than maybe usual, but I think you'll, it's important that we read the whole. So Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and we're going to continue on through the end of the chapter, verse 52. And James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. 
And when the ten heard about it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, the blind, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Two very different approaches to Jesus, one by a pair of people, one by a single person. Two very different types of people, two very different approaches. Same question, we're going to notice, different answers. Different people, different approaches, same question, different answers. As we're reading, the narrative starts, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee that they're called here, when Jesus first meets them in Mark chapter 3, he actually gives them a different name. He calls James and John's the sons of thunder. I wish that was, that was my uh, name that God gave me, sons of thunder, right? This sounds very important. We used to play a softball team, a church league softball team that was called sons of thunder, uh, and they beat us every single time. They kind of were the sons of thunder. And James and John, they, they come to Jesus, and they're pretty bold here. I mean, they have access that other people don't have to Jesus. They just walk up to him and tap him on the shoulder and say, Teacher, and think about what they're saying here to Jesus. After This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry, so almost three years of following Jesus. They walk up to him and they said, Teacher, we would like you to do whatever it is that we ask. That's a bold approach to Jesus. It's kind of like when my kids come up to me and they say something like, hey, Dad, we have a question for you, but before we ask you the question, whatever we say, you can't say no. I don't even have to hear the question. I know the answer is no, right? <laughs> but Jesus is far more patient than I am. And so when the disciples come up, uh, like, almost brash and bold and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we say. Jesus turns and says, what do you want me to do for you? 
And their answer, I mean, the sons of thunder, right? Uh, the name makes sense as you see their, their response to Jesus here. Uh, they say, well, we would like for you to give us the most important seats in your kingdom. So you keep talking about that you're going to establish a kingdom. When you establish the kingdom and you're on your throne, we would like for, for you to give us the right-hand seat and the left-hand seat. Now, Mark says that, that the brothers ask here, and in the book of Matthew, it's actually their mom that asks. And so you can imagine the scene, right? That, that here they are with their, their, their mom in tow to give to back them up on this. She's egging them on. You should get the best seats in this kingdom, right? And they come up to Jesus. And they say, we want the best that you have. We want the best seats that you have in your kingdom. And Jesus, with this sort of brash approach and, and brash response to his question, he turns to them and he says, well, I mean, can you drink the cup that I drink? And can you be baptized the same way I'm going to be baptized? I think that phrasing is, is probably odd for you and for me, but to the disciples, that they would have known exactly what Jesus meant. The cup would have, would have referenced a, a, an allotment given to someone by God, something that they had to face. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Meaning, can you, can you face what I'm about to face? Can you go through? And almost always in the Old Testament, when that phrase is used, it's talking about punishment and suffering. And so Jesus is saying, do you really think you can suffer what I'm about to suffer if you want these important seats? And it's the same thing with the baptism reference. And can you, can you face the turmoil that I'm about to go through? If we were to jump just back the verses right before we started in verse 35, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the Passover celebration, but this is the last time he'll be going to Jerusalem. He'll be crucified shortly in Jerusalem. And as they're walking to the city, if you look, just those verses, verse 34, verse 33, Jesus stops his disciples and he says, just so you know, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be put to death. And so now he's turning back to these disciples, James and John, that think they should get the best seats in the kingdom. And he's, he's saying, remember what I just said about what we're facing in Jerusalem? Do you really think you can face that? <laughs> the sons of thunder. I mean, if Jesus wants to go there, they're ready to go. Yes, we can. And Jesus says something here a little bit surprising to me. He says, yeah, you will drink the cup that I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I receive. Probably alluding to the fact that once Jesus dies and is raised and ascends into heaven, that all of these disciples would suffer greatly for the gospel and be martyred for the message. So Jesus says, you're right. You will drink this cup. It's, it's not going to be by your own power, but this will happen in the future. However, these seats are not mine to give you. I'm not going to give you these seats. They've, they've already been reserved by my father. And then the other disciples hear about this. I mean, you can imagine this, right? This happens in your teams at work. This happens in the classroom. 
I mean, all these 12 men have been following Jesus, and these two step out and say, hey, Jesus, just so you know, and our mom, she agrees with us, we think we should get the best seats in your kingdom. And the other 10 disciples hear about this. There's no doubt where James and John feel like they rank in the list of the 12 disciples. They are 1A and 1B, and then the other 10 can just fight it out amongst themselves, whatever other spots they would like to have. And the other disciples, of course, they hear about this and they're not happy. And I can just, just uh, hear the conversation happening when the text says that the other disciples become indignant with James and John. I mean, can't you hear a guy like Peter coming in and saying, what's wrong with you, right? I mean, I walked on water and then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas probably pipes up and he says, yeah, until you sank Peter. And then Thaddeus pipes up and says, well, what about me? And Bartholomew says, Thaddeus, no one knows about you, right? <laughs> 2,000 years from now, 2,000 years from now, people will be sitting in a church in Belmont, Massachusetts, finding out for the very first time that there was a disciple named Thaddeus. And Thaddeus looked at Bartholomew and said, yeah, well, the same goes for you, Bartholomew. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, it gets petty quick. And Jesus stops all this. And he says, listen. I'm saying no to this request. No. I'll tell you why. Because my kingdom's not about power. My kingdom's not about who's the best and who's the most important. In fact, if you want to be first in my kingdom, you need to serve. And if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the slave of all. That's why I came, Jesus said. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And so your request to get the best seats in my kingdom is denied because that's not what this is about. And then they move on, continuing on the way to Jerusalem, and then they come to the city of Jericho, which... I believe would have been the last stop on their way. There's this blind beggar. And as they get closer to Jerusalem, the crowds would get bigger because everyone's traveling to the city for the Passover celebration. So the crowds are getting bigger as they get closer. And here's this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road. The text says that son, he's the son of Timaeus. And that's literally what his name means, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is sitting on the road, this blind beggar that's probably been sitting there for years. And as the crowds are going, he can kind of hear through all of the hubbub of the commotion of everything that's happening around him that Jesus is in the crowd. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. From his spot in the dust on the ground. And everyone looks at him and tells him to be quiet. Don't bother Jesus. In fact, the text doesn't say this, but I can't help but wonder if some of those very disciples that had just gotten the message and they're walking into Jericho and they're saying to themselves, all right, if I want to be great, I have to serve. If I want to be the best, I have to be a slave. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Quiet. 
But that didn't stop Bartimaeus. He just shouted all the louder. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called him. And the very same people who were telling him to be quiet turned to him and say, cheer up. The master's calling for you. Grab your, your stuff and go and see him. And the text says that Bartimaeus sprang up and he went to Jesus. And do you know what Jesus said to him? The exact same thing he said to his disciples. I almost would think the disciples might get some special treatment. They had access to Jesus that Bartimaeus didn't have. They didn't have to cry out through the crowd. They just walked up to him, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Teacher, would you do whatever we ask? He's a genie in a lamp. Bartimaeus had to cry out through the crowd from his spot in the dirt. And when Jesus turns and talks to Bartimaeus, he says the exact same thing. What do you want me to do for you? It's that way in our English Bibles. It's the same way in the original Greek. The same exact question. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want to see. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, no. I'm not going to grant that request. Very different response to blind Bartimaeus. Your faith has made you well. Go on your way. Different approaches. Very different people. Same question. Different response. If you've been with us over the last uh, couple of weeks, then you know that we're starting off this year in 2023 in January talking about how is it that we are supposed to figure out God's will for our lives. God has a plan for you. He has a desire for you. There is, there is something that God has for you this year. And the question is, how do you figure that out? And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you saw this Venn diagram that we put together that we said that God's will for you this year, and really any year, is going to be right at the center of your gifting that God has given you, the burdens that you have on your heart. I think about uh, the donations that are in this room down below us that we're going to move later today. Those donations are there because people have a specific burden for a specific group of people. So they're doing something about it. It's your gifting and the, the burdens that God puts on your heart. It's what God says to you through his word and through others. And then the opportunities that God puts in front of you. Right in the middle of that is God's will for your life. The question is, how do you figure that out? How do you figure it out? And so we're talking now about some of the things that you need to be doing if you want to figure out all of this stuff. You can't guess at this. No one else can tell you what this is. You need to go and spend time with God. And the thing we talked about last week is getting into God's word. We have this saying here at Mount Hope, and it goes like this. God's word is true. So we don't change the Bible to fit our lives. We allow our lives to be changed by the Bible. And we have another statement about prayer. That prayer is powerful and effective. Therefore, prayer is, not our, is, is our first priority. 
and not our last resort. What I want to suggest to you from these two narratives is that, yes, we have different people with different approaches. We have the same question and different answers. But I want to suggest to you this morning that both answers, one no and one yes, actually get the exact same result. And that when you come to God in prayer and God gives you answers, he's giving you answers that also end up with this same result. Very different answers, given for different reasons, but the same result. The first thing I'll say to you, I want you to understand this morning from this text, is that no matter who you are and no matter where you come from, when you go into prayer and you spend time in God's presence, you should expect that the creator of the universe and the Lord over everything cares enough about you that he will, in the midst of that prayer time, turn to you and ask you the very same question that he asked his disciples and he asked the blind man sitting by the road. There's a lot of things that we do in prayer, and we can't talk about all of them this morning. But this is one thing that we do, is we come and we present our requests to God. And when we come and present those requests to God, you better believe that God is going to turn to you in that moment and say to you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want to see? I wonder how often we honestly come before the Lord and do this. I think sometimes we pray for prayer requests that we hear. How many times do we come before the Lord and just like James and John, just put it out there? I mean, God knows your heart. So you can dance around it if you want, but He knows. How often do we come into God's presence and just boldly say what we would like to see him do? That's what he asks of his disciples. That's what he asks of the blind man. I think for some of us, uh, we find it hard to do this because we feel like uh, it, would be, it would be almost rude in prayer or, or unbecoming to be that honest with the Lord. And so we have our prayer language and our words that we use and we, we sound very nice when we pray. We try to keep it very high level and light because it, it almost seems like it would be, it would be um, unchristian to come in and be raw and emotional and honest with God. And for some of us, we don't believe that God would ask us this question. That we could say the Lord's Prayer and we could say other things, but we don't actually believe that, that the creator of the universe loves you enough to look at you. And say, what do you want me to do for you? Because you don't identify with the disciples in this story. You don't identify with the sons of thunder. You identify with the blind beggar. But Jesus hears you above the crowd. And he hears all those well-meaning church people that tell you to pipe down. And he's going to break through that and ask you this question. 
what do you want me to do for you? I actually appreciate the example of James and John. It shows us that we can be honest. Say what we really are looking for. And that Jesus will still answer us back. You might say to me, well, pastor, they're not really praying here. I mean, they're having this conversation with Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that that is prayer. It just happened that Jesus was physically present and right in front of them. But this is prayer, us going into God's presence and, and talking to him and having him ask us questions and us listen to him and respond. This is prayer. In fact, I love the way that Dallas Willard, uh, the great uh, theologian and writer, and, and, uh, he says it this way. He said, you shouldn't really seek to develop a prayer life. He said, prayer life is when you say, okay, I'm going to pray 20 minutes a day. And then you, you go and you try to pray 20 minutes a day. And two minutes in, your mind is on all sorts of other things. And you end up making a shopping list for the last 15. And then the next day, it's, it's really hard. He said, you need to develop a life of prayer. So the life of prayer, Christ is with you wherever you go. And there is constant conversation between you and the Lord. It's not segmented into one part of your day. And he's not saying that it's bad to have a morning prayer time. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that as you have that morning prayer time, let it carry with you. Develop that into a life of prayer. And that's what I see happening here. The disciples and the blind man, they're living life. And Jesus is asking them this question and having this conversation. What's your answer? One of my best friends growing up was a, a guy named Bobby Cryer and and he, uh, Bobby and I were roommates our freshman year of college. And he went uh, to live, after that, his family moved to the West Coast. So he went and went out to school in California so that he could be near his family. And he ended up in the Sacramento uh, area. And he did, led worship at his church in Sacramento. And one day a gentleman in his church who uh, was very wealthy said, Hey, Bobby, you want to come to the Sacramento Kings game with me? That's the NBA team there in Sacramento, California. You want to come to the Sacramento Kings game with me? And, uh, and I have floor seats, and we can sit together. And so my friend got to do something that I have always, it's like a bucket list thing for me, go and sit courtside in an NBA game. And he sat there, and he watched the whole game. And then after the game, the, the gentleman said to him, hey, I want to take you out to dinner. And so they, they went out to dinner, and they walked into the restaurant, my friend, he called me up uh, after this event, and he said, you're not going to believe what happened when we walked in that restaurant. I said, what? He said, I walked in, and there was the biggest star on the Sacramento Kings at the time, Chris Weber. And across the table from Chris Weber uh, was his, the person he was dating at the time, supermodel Tyra Banks. It says, I walked in the restaurant, and there's Chris Weber, and there's Tyra Banks sitting there eating at the restaurant. And my friend Bobby uh, did exactly what I would never do, but Bobby would always do, and that is he walked right up to them. And he didn't care if they wanted to, like, uh, just tell him to. In fact, he expected that he would walk up and say something, and they would say, yeah, 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 get lost. He said to me, I walked up to their table, and I said, I'm sorry to bother you, but Chris, we were just at the game sitting courtside, and I thoroughly enjoyed the game. He said Chris Weber took his utensils, sat them down, shifted in his chair away from 
Tyra Banks to look at my friend, which is quite a move. And he said to him, he said, really, what did you enjoy about it? And my friend said, I had nothing to say. Said, I didn't know what to say. He's like, I just looked like an idiot. And I said, oh, I just, I thought it was great how you put the ball in the hoop and I walked off. <laughs> I had no idea. No, I, and some of you don't realize that that's exactly what Jesus is doing to you. You are coming into the presence of the one who created everything. And he's turning to you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? answer, and answer openly and honestly. The wheels are turning right now, and you're saying, okay, I got to get this right. I come to Jesus a certain way. I, I ask a certain way. He asks me this question. I say something, and then Jesus gives me whatever it is I want. No, that's not how it works at all. But I promise you, that every single answer Jesus gives you when you answer that question is designed for the same purpose. Same for the disciples, same for blind Bartimaeus. When you pray, expect Jesus to ask you the question, what do you want me to do for you? And when you pray, you need to expect that whatever answer you get, yes, no, wait, maybe, silence, is an answer that is designed to help you follow Jesus more closely. That's how God answers your prayers. And the only way that you'll get there is if you come and honestly lay it out there. Because for James and John, who of course go on to be two amazing leaders for the gospel of Jesus Christ, James writing the book of James, and, and, and um, no, is that correct? That's not correct, is it? That's, that's wrong. Sorry. Yeah, that's wrong. Jesus' brother James wrote the book of James. See, even pastors make mistakes. But John, writing the gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. That one I'm very confident on. So they go on to be leaders for the gospel. And Jesus' answer of no was designed to help them follow Jesus more closely. And Jesus' answer to blind Bartimaeus of yes, I want you to see, was designed to help blind Bartimaeus follow Jesus more closely. And did you check and see what the end of the passage says? Jesus says, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But what does Bartimaeus do? Immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed Jesus on the way. Every single answer to prayer that God gives is designed for us to learn to follow him more closely. And sometimes it's painful when he says no. Sometimes it's painful when he says wait. Sometimes it's great when he says yes. Sometimes it's hard when he says yes. But nevertheless, all of those answers, every time you go and answer, answer that question, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? God's answers back is designed to help you follow him more closely. The question is, 
Will you just go on your way? Or will you turn and follow? That's the question for you. God's answering. The question is not, does God hear me? He hears you. Even if you're in the dust and the dirt crying out above the crowd, he hears you. Does God care about what I have to say? Absolutely. He will turn to you and ask you this question. Will he answer me? Yes. The question is, will you lean into the answer and learn to follow him more? January 2nd, 2023. Not too long ago. There's a Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And when they play this afternoon, if you happen to catch any of the game, I guarantee you they will be talking about what happened on that Monday night. You may not be a football fan. My guess is you know what happened during that game. One of the uh, defensive backs for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin, was hit during a play and collapsed on the field. And for a number of minutes, the training staff was giving him CPR in the field, and the players could barely stand it. If you were watching the game, I mean, on the telecast, the announcers didn't know what to say. They kept throwing it back to the studio. The studio kept throwing it back to the announcers. No one knew exactly how to handle this. And after that event, I was amazed at how many people were calling for prayer. In fact, people gathered outside the hospital with signs saying they were praying for DeMar. And the thing, I mean, of course, social media was all fired up with prayers for DeMar. And the thing that really stuck out to me that, that I thought was an amazing moment was there's a backup quarterback from the NFL named Dan Orvlosky, who now works for ESPN. And in the middle of NFL Live, which is a big program on the sports network, he stopped everything that was happening and he said, I don't just want to talk about praise, prayers for DeMar, I want to pray for DeMar. And in the middle of that broadcast with millions of people watching, Dan Orvlosky bowed his head and prayed on air. Now here's how you know that everyone who's, who was aware of this incident was great with praying at this moment when things were so uncertain. Dan Orvlosky is still employed by ESPN. I can't think of another time ever, and he's a Christian, as far as I know, I mean, he's a very open Christian. I can't think of another time where that would not cost him his job. If he did that today, hey, DeMar still has a long recovery ahead of him, I'd like to stop and pray. The executives would say, that's, that's enough, Dan. No more prayers. But that day, everyone was on board. I didn't hear a single person cut that down. God answered the prayers. DeMar Hamlin's doing well. He is home. The question is, for all of us who prayed, the response is designed to get to follow us, to get us to follow Jesus more closely. Everyone who knows anything about that situation uses the word miracle. I've heard it from the doctors. I've heard it from the training staff. I've heard it from all sorts of players in that, in that league as they talk about that instant. People use the word miracle, but who gets the credit? Buffalo Bills training staff, University of Cincinnati doctors, and I think all of those people are awesome. But when people say, oh, 
Wasn't he so lucky that the right people were on the field at the right time to take care of this and the right hospital with the right doctors was just down the road? Because 99.9% of the time, this kills somebody, this event, this cardiac event. He could be lucky. Maybe God answered some prayers. Maybe God knew ahead of time what was going to occur. And on a very national stage with the world praying and people open to prayer, God did something amazing. We have to let those kind of things lead us to follow Jesus Christ more. When Jesus prayed, he said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That's what it's about, is coming into God's presence and having our hearts aligned with the heart of God. I'm going to invite our worship team up as we close this morning. And I want to give you a chance because God is asking this question this morning. What is it? You've gathered together here. You're in this space. You're you're in my presence as a community. What is it that you want me to do for you? And it's an opportunity for us to spend time in prayer. An opportunity to spend time in God's presence. And I'm not going to get up here and tell you, because I don't believe that it's true, that whatever you ask of God in this moment, He is 100% going to do. But I will tell you this, whatever you ask of God in this moment, He will 100% give you an answer that is designed to help you follow Him more deeply and closely and intimately. To learn more about Him and who He is and how He is at work in this world. To change you, your heart, in your mind, so that you are more in line with him. So as our worship team begins to play, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes with us. This is time for you to spend time in the presence of God. There was this moment where the disciples went to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus did. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to say a line from that prayer that Jesus prayed. And then I'm going to leave some silence for you to spend with the Lord. Either listen for his voice, pour your heart out to him, And then I'll say another line, and I'll leave silence. This is our opportunity. Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, I don't believe that Jesus asked me this question. I don't believe that any of this is true. Why would you not take this moment and give it a shot? Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you come this morning and you have very specific answers to what you'd like to see God do for you. And as your brothers and sisters in Christ and your church community, we don't want you to have to stand on your own and coming before the Lord and asking those things. We stand with you. So in just a moment, we're going to close out this service in song. And while we do, I'm going to ask Andrew and Rosemary are going to be in the back of the room. If you'd like someone to pray with you, you can go and speak to them in the back of the room. And Lori and I are right up here in the front of the room. If you'd like to come and stand with us up here in this corner of the sanctuary, we will pray with you as well. What do you want me to do for you? God is asking. Would you stand with me as we begin to close this service? And as we go into song, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like to say these words from Matthew chapter 6 together. Would you say these with me? Pray then like this. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.